Hello. Hey, Simon. <laughs> Hello? Hey, Simon. It's Skyler. Hey, Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. What's up, Simon? Hello. How you doing? Hey. Hello. Hello. Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. Hi, my name is Simon Brooks. I am the host of Conversations with Storytellers, a podcast of wisdom, thoughts, and folk and fairy tales from our elders, a meeting with professional storytellers. I decided to travel around the country when I could to interview some of the elders in our community of traditional storytelling, people who, through their work, travel about telling myths and legends, folk and fairy tales. Each storyteller shares their thoughts on our profession and gems of wisdom and sometimes a story or two. I'm glad that you're here. During COVID, I've been conducting most of these conversations over the phone or via online platforms. I cannot wait for you to hear the conversation I had with Linda Gorham. We talk about a city girl and how she made herself a teller of tales. Taking folk and fairy tales and fracturing them or twisting them is Linda's favourite type of work. Her collection of stories and words, made up and otherwise, is inspiring to hear about. Life of a young girl moving around the world and how she has now settled. Please enjoy Linda Gorham. Linda Gorham, thank you so much indeed for joining me uh, on this podcast. I've been looking forward to this for a while and uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Um, so you've been doing this for over 30 years now, right? I have. And you've enjoyed every single minute of it, I bet. No. <laughs> you know, I love performing. I uh -huh. love the audiences. Uh -huh. Actually, I enjoy researching some of the stories that I have where I did a lot of research. Uh -huh. But I... Uh, don't necessarily enjoy all the driving which uh -huh. is not in the zoom world but um yeah. i don't necessarily enjoy um the trying to take what i have created and putting it into my head my head does not absorb information and ideas and then allow my mouth to spit them out my head looks at what i usually write first and then okay. I um, learn my material. And my head doesn't like learning my material. But when I'm live in uh -huh. person, you can improvise. Yeah, so that's true. That's part about Zooming that is hard to do. Because you don't but get I the feedback. Yeah, yeah, you don't get the feedback. But I enjoy performing. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your family growing up. What was it like to be little Linda? In my mind, in my memory, it was wonderful. Um, my father was in the military. Uh, he he um, did 20 years in the military. So the first wow. bunch of years of my life, I lived in New Jersey, uh, Germany, Alaska, Georgia, and back to New Jersey. And that was all before the age of 12. Wow. So I have moved around a lot with him and my parents, I mean, my mother and my sisters. What I loved about it was that we felt as if we could get along anywhere we went. And my mother used to say that. She used to say, every move is an adventure. Mm -hmm. So when I married um, and we did a similar kind of rotation with our own children, I told them the same thing. Every move is an adventure. So I always felt as if my background was a 
background of different places and people, and that all came together to make me who I am. That's for better or worse, I guess. But still, <laughs> you know, it is who That's I really, am. People say, where are you from? And I say, I'm from where I am right now. Oh, I like the answer. That's a really good answer. I like that a lot. So um, I, I did a little bit of reading about you, I did a little bit of research because, you know, I do that. And um, it seems that your grandfather was quite a figure. Um, I read about the book and I wonder how that, how much of that you want to share and how much of that had an influence on you growing up, maybe becoming into the storyteller that you are right now. I think anything we experience young helps us become what we are as an adult. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a direct tie from hearing little snippets of stories about my family to me becoming a storyteller. But I, I always look back and say that my father was a big influence because he, you know, he was military officer. He had his rules and he had his expectations and he made his expectations very clear. And I, in the story that I think you're referencing called the book, I didn't realize that my father's desire for his children came directly from his father and my grandfather, who came up with nothing and made himself right. a world. And he always said that uh, the world he made was based on listening and talking to people and writing things down that they said. And according to family lore, lore, my grandfather kept them in a little black book and that book was passed to my father, which of course I've never seen, but I can remember all the stuff he said and repeated over and over again. But, I, but, the, but when I became an adult and kind of understood what everybody was talking about with this book, it made me realize that I stand on the shoulders of my grandfather. That's really cool. That's really cool. Have you never asked your father to see the black book? <laughs> it didn't matter if I asked him or not. He would have a roundabout answer to what he wanted to say. Um, I, I, you know, my father just would smile. He, the problem with my father is he was too handsome. And so if you asked him a question and the response you got was a smile, you were melted. You couldn't do anything. <laughs> the end of it. I'm like, All right, fine. <laughs> I guess I'm not handsome enough because that doesn't work in my family. <laughs> it's, it, it's just he had a smile that just you just thought there was probably like 20 paragraphs behind the smile and you just had to go with it. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. Were there any um, storytellers in your family growing up? There were. What's the thing when you do something really short? Uh, um, a skit? Not, not a skit, but a anecdote. Oh, so okay. my mother yeah, yeah. was full of anecdotes and she would tell me a little bit about this person and a little bit about that person. And the stories were really small snippets, not mm -hmm. necessarily long, you know, going on about all the things that they did. It was snippet here, snippet there, snippet there. So um, in fact, because I felt as if I didn't have a full story, I made up a story um, based on the snippets. 
because oh, that's, that's cool. we have to do with what we have and people say yeah. i don't have a story i'm like yeah but you probably have snippets and anecdotes and little things that you heard about them and you can put them together into a story because it is real right so right. it's my mother's anecdotes that uh created the story i am somebody it's based on all the little things she told me about my family and uh their struggles their successes um their loves their joys nothing ties together but it's all relevant right right it's like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle but there are lots of pieces missing yes Yes, and so the, I put them and together. You're filling those other pieces, right? I put them together and said, this is what I have. This is who I am, based on these little snippets. And then you and your family, you put the rest of the pieces in. Those are your pieces. Yeah, I, I better make sure I fill in the gaps so that my children <laughs> don't end up saying what I just said to you about, Mom never filled in the gaps, you know. What I, know. I did, with, what I did with my children is I used to tell them, I'll explain that when you're 20. I'll explain that when you're 30. And um, then when they got to a certain age, I would tell them something else that they hadn't known about me or something else they didn't know about oh, my husband, cool. John. And so now I guess the next marker would be 40. And let's see what kind of bomb I drop on them. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So what events led you into, what was your first job growing up? What, did, what was your first ever job? Ooh. Probably uh, serving as a volunteer tutor in, in my community. Um, so was I that as a senior at was, school? No, no, no. I was school? probably a freshman in high school. Okay. And um, there was some organization looking for high school students to tutor elementary school students. There was no pay. But um, that's probably the first job I had. And then after that, I worked. I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. My, I said grew up. My high school was in Newark, New Jersey. I was living there. And uh, the city had a program for the summer. And I guess my second job was working during the summer with the city. Mm -hmm. um, they would have children doing activities in the community in several different locations. And my job was to go and supervise about 12 different groups. Oh, wow. Um, and it was wonderful. And then after that, I worked for a department store in the scarf department. Ooh, and here Those I am wearing scarf Those are my early today. jobs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sold scarves. I knew nothing about scarves. No one asked me. They just said, sell scarves. And I went, I will. <laughs> so I did. I bet you knew a lot about scarves by the time you finished that job, though. I have a whole box of scarves. Yeah, I bought oh, really? so many scarves because I wanted to wear the scarves that I was right. trying to. And you probably um, got a good discount too, right? I did get a discount. Yeah, yeah. I used to say to my children, "Why isn't one of you a pilot?" So I could get, you know, a discount. <laughs> yes, the family on discount. I one know. One could work for a big hotel chain, and then one could work as a pilot, and I'd be, you know, in. But they didn't. So how many kids have you got? I have two boys, John and I have okay. two sons. Okay. So you, you, if you had a third, then you have a third one that would be a doctor, right? Isn't <laughs> then that you would funny be that I never thought about a doctor? I was only thinking about vacation when I was... <laughs> I guess I could have said doctor and lawyer, you know, but... Well, I hopefully you never need a lawyer, that. but, you know, we only need doctors at some point, right? It's, <laughs> it's, funny. It's, it's funny that so many people might answer that question saying, I wish one of my... Never occurred to me. That's funny. Yeah, it is funny. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, my daughter's got these goals and dreams. It's, I want to buy you a nice house, Daddy. I was like, yeah, you know, that's great. That's wonderful. I love that. So do you have siblings. Am I right? You're saying you have siblings? I have two sisters, yeah. Two sisters, yeah. And do, are, are they like into stories or anything like that? What do they do? Um, no, they're not into stories. But I wasn't into stories. I mean, you talked about my first two jobs. Uh -huh. uh, the The job, if I'm trying to keep it all in order, the next job I had, maybe I was a junior in high school and mm -hmm. in the summer I worked for a prudential insurance company basically as a clerk a gopher uh -huh. so you, they would the coolest thing they had me do which would not happen today here's this little high school junior about uh -huh. to be a senior they'd give me checks and it would need six signatures or four signatures or whatever and I would go from there were three buildings with an underground tunnel connecting them and I would take the underground tunnel and take these checks all the way to the big the biggest building that had the fanciest offices and I'd get one signature. Then I'd go somewhere and get another. So by the time I was finished, I had all the signatures on the check and I would take it back to whomever I had requested it. And I thought, wow, they really trust me. And then I thought, wow, I'm worth it. I'm trustworthy. Yeah. Um, but that was really cool part of the job. And then I would make copies and do things like that. But it was that experience at Prudential that really set me off onto my career uh, that being that when I graduated college, mm -hmm. I went, let's see. Yeah, I went back there and and got my first real job. But not as a, not as a, not a as career. A, no, I was in the actuarial department. If anyone knows what that is, that's the um, math department that is really um the basis for what insurance is, how to figure out what to charge people. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Because my degree is in math. So you're a numbers girl then? Well, I used to be. Once you give up numbers, they don't come back. That's, I don't believe that's <laughs> Once true. Once you switch from numbers to words, <laughs> trust me, the numbers get, yeah. fade away. So anyway, what did, back to your question, both of my yeah. sisters went into business, as okay. I did, and I'm the maverick. I'm the one who did, my father said three things. You grow up, you go to school, you study hard, you go to college, you graduate college, you get a job with a pension. That's it. I mean, mm -hmm. he didn't mention falling in love, having children, I guess maybe <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> like, dad, what about love and marriage and all this? Like, no, focus on the pension. So, so. Smart I'm, man. Jeez. I'm the only one that deviated, I mean, from the norm of my family and actually decided to quit and go into my own business as a professional storyteller, which is the antithesis of everything I was trained to be. <laughs> so how did you make that leap from business to storytelling? Well, let me give you a little bit of background. When okay. I majored in math in college, uh -huh. I was I was the first person in my college to have speech and theater as my minor. No one else had ever done it. You can imagine everybody else in my math department, my math classes. Yeah. You know, they were all like science, computer science, biology, whatever. I took a speech class in freshman year and the speech teacher said to me, you have the worst New Jersey accent I have ever heard. You can live with it for the rest of your life or I can help you get rid of it. Wow, that's a bit uh, Yeah, like rude. in the face, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So 
because I told you I had moved a lot, uh-huh. all, I don't know where I picked this up, this accent, but people used to say to me, are you from New Jersey or New York? Mm-hmm. They don't get they don't get it. And I realized, I said to myself, I went into deep introspection. I said, I know that whatever I'm going to do in my life, I want people to listen to me first, not my accent. And it doesn't mean that I mock people with accents. It was just for me having been told, you must be from New Jersey. I'm thinking, you missed my first three sentences. (laughs) Right. So I took his class almost as a personal dare to myself mm-hmm. and enjoyed it and took a few more speech classes and then decided to um, take enough to make a minor. And I do believe that no matter what career we all have, it is important to know how to speak, how to present on stage or in a boardroom or in a meeting or in a mm-hmm. business situation. Um, and I now, somebody listening is going to say, you still have a New Jersey accent. And I'm going to tell them that I don't. But I think I got rid of most of it. So, so I can't, I, I pick up on accents pretty easy. You know, I listen for accents. You have so one, I, you know. I do. Yeah. We all have one. Yeah. <laughs> we all have one. But I can't, I can't, I haven't yet picked up the New Jersey. There's little bits that might hint at it. Um, but can I you, really so, hard. so, Ed Stivender, um, he had he did the same thing. He decided that he would lose his Philadelphia accent, and since he lost it, he's never ever been able to do it ever again. Can you do a New Jersey accent still? The only word I can remember working hard to fix was C A N D Y. It's candy, candy. <laughs> but in New Jersey, it's candy. And the other is any word that ends in a T, like don't. Uh-huh. I think the East Coast New Jersey-ish accent is more like don't, like without that hard they T tr- at the end. Yeah, they drop it. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I mean, talking about accents and everything. A lot of Americans pronounce the T's as D's. Um, at least Maybe on, that's, well, yeah. That could I be mean, part I, of it. Yeah. Yeah, because um, it. it took me a long time to get used to that and to figure out what people were saying because I'd hear it as a as a D instead of a T. I was like, what, what, what? And I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I know what you're saying. Accents are funny things. They really are. They're very interesting. So, how, so you have the speech background and, and what, how did that move you into storytelling? Ten years I worked at the corporation, mm-hmm. uh, moving from, by the way, actuarial, the actuarial department to the human resources department. Oh, that sounds like more fun. uh, Honestly, it was. (laughs) I would say that people who study actuarial science and go into it are brilliant. Mm -hmm. But I think I needed to be around people who were more than just brilliant. I think I needed to be around people who were a little more well-rounded, in my humble opinion. So I requested a transfer to human resources by writing a letter to my boss. This is before job job posting. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, and was given the opportunity to go into um, employment. Nice. Um, so after 10 years of that, we moved again. Well, no, in the, in all, while doing all that, let's see, how did that all work? Married John, we moved, moved, moved. I worked as a consultant after one of those moves with the company still. And 
then decided to stay home with my our two boys. Mm-hmm. Um, in that time that I was home, which totaled about eight years, I saw a storyteller perform. And I had never heard of this art before. I had I was sitting in the audience astounded that this person had no costuming, this person had no staging. All it was Diane Ferlot. Uh-huh. And I was mesmerized. No staging, no costuming, one person, voice, body, attitude. I thought, you know, I know that with my husband's corporate job, we're going to keep moving around the country. I know that that means that our boys are going to have to get used to new schools every time we move. Maybe if I learn a few stories, that will help the transition for the boys. Every time they go to a new school, I can go into the classroom, tell a few stories, and that might have helped to soften the, you know, their impact on the school. Uh-huh. It'll be like, oh, you're new, but your mother's kind of fun. Okay, <laughs> come play ball with us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So totally get it. <laughs> that was my total motivation to, to learn this uh, art. And uh-huh. I did it when uh, they were in preschool and kindergarten and we moved and I did it again where they were in second and third grade and we moved and I did it again when they were in fifth and sixth grade, just going in, not charging anybody, just entertaining their classes. And then uh, one school said, well, can you do a whole assembly? I swallowed hard, (laughs) but why not? You know, sure. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, she said, you know, there are a bunch of schools in the district. How about if I share your name? Sure. You got a business card? No. You have a <laughs> brochure? No. Uh, this was before websites, you know. This, yeah. Okay. I said, but I'll get you a business card and I'll get you a brochure real quick. <laughs> and uh, the next thing I know, um, I had a career. So I decided, because I was originally going to go back to corporate America, and I said, you know what? This is working for me. I can put the boys on the school bus, go out and tell stories in the schools. I can be home before they get off the school bus, and it works for me. That's so neat. That's so neat. And So when the boys, did you do summer gigs as well at libraries and stuff? It's hard for me to remember because in the beginning I wasn't marketing. I was just doing, the schools were calling me and I was just going. It was um, the move. The only reason I... Go ahead. The only reason I ask is because um, when I started doing this, I was a stay-at-home dad. Um, And so my son, we we only had the the one boy at the time. Um, My son was my roadie and he would pretty much go with me every single time. Unless it was like, you know, somewhere crazy that was like a three-hour drive away. Um, in which case my, you know, my wife would take care of him. But um, I was just wondering if your kids were, you know, you said that you, they'd go to school, but I was wondering if they ever played hooky maybe and, and went on you with gigs and, and became your little roadies. <laughs> Shucks, I missed out on an opportunity. <laughs> no, no, they never, they never went with me to my performances. Okay. 
Usually I did it while they were in school. And when they got older and I would start to travel, well, they were in school and after school sports and everything. And I was off traveling. So basically you left the burden of the children on John's shoulders. Yep. Many nice. years he left the you. burden of them on me, so why should not leave the burden of them on him? It's true, that, it's, right? It's true, it's true. There was a while when both of us were traveling and we did have to do a little extra juggling, but yeah. um, we were both having fun at what we were doing. So, so what does John do, or, or what was he doing at the time? He was, he's retired now, he okay. was a marketer for a, an investment company that specialized in real estate properties, commercial real estate properties. Oh, and wow. he was, let's see, let me get this right. They purchased properties so that pension funds would have viable entities to invest in. Gotcha. Wow. That must have been a fun job. Um, he never, brought any, well, he never brought any of the stress home with him, which is admirable. Yeah. Um, he was good at it, mm -hmm. and he worked a long time at it because he enjoyed it. And when he retired, I think he could look back or does look back and say, I did something important. That's really cool. Yeah, that's very cool. I like that. I like that. Now you you came to tell fractured stories, or as you like to call them, twisted stories, right? Folk and fairy tales. I mean, you do personal stories as well, but I want to talk about this for a little while. Um, what what made you decide that you didn't want to tell just the traditional version that you wanted to fracture them, that you wanted to twist them and mold them into something different? What was the magic in that for you? I must have heard somebody twist a fairy tale. I can't put my finger on where I heard it, but I must have heard it. But I will tell you, if you go way back with me, I, as a kid, loved the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Okay. And they had a segment in there. That's a TV cartoon show. And they had mm -hmm. a segment called Fractured Fairy Tales. And uh. that segment on that show was the most interesting part of the show for me. So at one point... I was in a library and I saw a book called Fractured Fairy Tales and it had a picture of the same image that was on the Bullwinkle show. So I purchased oh, okay. the book, which I still have, and read that book about 15 times. I just kept reading it over and over again. And I said, I've got to do this. When, when you decide that I need some more stories for my repertoire, what, what do you go and look for? in a story that you can then find to twist and manipulate and change into something gorgeous uh, and new? Honestly, I think my background in math comes into play when I'm twisting a tale because I uh. approach it very methodically on some level. Um, <laughs> for example, when I decided that I wanted to twist a tale I said, what, what kind of songs do I like? And I knew that I grew up on Motown. So I literally made a list of all the Motown songs that I liked. And I then sort of fractured that list more by pulling out the lines of some of the stories that I liked in the song mm -hmm. and literally did a, a sheet, a spreadsheet on that 
and then said, what story could fit some of these lines? And then proceeded to sort of methodically shift lines around and then pushed it all into Little Red Riding Hood. Um, another story I had listened to, there's a TV show called In Living Color. Yeah. And one of the skits that they used to do was a, a man who would twist his words or he'd mm -hmm. make up words. Um, like he'd say, well, that situation was a combobulation. And he would use the word as if he knew exactly what it meant and it was important to him. <laughs> and uh, watching that TV show, I said, whoa, those words are really fun. The ones he made up, the ones, and specifically ones that ended in Asian or Isation or something like that. So I literally sat down and put together a list of words ending in Asian or Isation. And for that one, I made my family sit down with me, my boys and my husband, like, just come up with words, come up with words, come up with words. So you're I'm making all these up? We're making words up and we're, and I'm <laughs> trying to do it like a, That's excellent. at that point, could we do it on Google? Could you put up words that end in Asian? I think it was before Google could do that. Uh -huh. um, and we just made a list of words. And then I said, okay, I think this is calling the three little pigs. <laughs> and that's how I did it. That's I want to do one with um, sports terms. You know, okay. we watch a lot of sports on TV. Uh, John pays attention to what they're do who's playing and what they're playing mm -hmm. for. Yeah. I watch a bunch of bodies run around. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> me. <laughs> I could probably tell you that somebody wearing white, white played somebody wearing red. I mean, that's about it. Yeah. But I love the commentary. What yeah. the, the commentators say about how you know the running commentary is really kind of funny so my yeah, next can be some, some, yeah. write that down write down those, those things that they say and put them in a story so i'll do the process of writing all these comments down before i figure out which story to twist so there's a little bit of your grandfather in this because you're writing all these things down in this little black book that you're pulling out for later for stories in your own little black book okay you're the first one to make that correlation but perhaps you're right. You know, perhaps that's my method. That's so cool. I, I yeah, okay. That's that's amazing. <laughs> I, I like the idea uh, that you that you do that. You sit down and you make these words up, or you take lines from. I was I was big into Motown and and, and Atlantic uh, music when I was growing up. It was really big for me. Um. So what, what's your favorite part of the, because hang on, let me uh, backpedal a bit. Are there singers in your family? No. So this is <laughs> my another. Father, so this is... My father was a singer in that my father, my father was one of the first African-Americans to make it to the New Jersey All-State Choir. That was a big deal. And the only reason I know that, because my mother told me that. And then my mother said, but it really doesn't matter how you sing. You sing because you love to sing. Yeah, I would agree so, with that. So <laughs> my mother and I, I can remember on Saturday mornings, uh, we'd get up early and uh, start cleaning and start singing. I mean, literally, we would go put on albums on that big console that people used to have back in yes. the 60s. And we put the album. Like a big sideboard table. Yes, it, it yeah. was. We won it on a game show. 
Which was no. Cool. Yeah. Oh, come on. You got to, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you go on with the singing, let's talk about this game show for a second. What game show was it and who won it? I have no idea what game oh, come show on. it was. It was probably, it was, it was, here's the deal though. Okay. We were in the audience, my younger sister, Gail, my mother and me. Mm -hmm. And um, the audience was allowed to put their name in a hat and there was going to be a drawing for some prizes at the end of the game show. Uh-huh. My mother put my name in, Gail's name in, and her name in. So she entered three times. Gail's name was called. Well, it was the prize, this in this particular prize was money. But because Gail was a minor and shouldn't have had her name in there anyway, they gave us this big TV console thing. Nice. <laughs> I wish, I wish, I bet my mother would know. You know, I can't ask her now, but yeah. boy, it would be awesome to know. And Gail was really young, so I, I doubt she knows. Yeah, that's fun. Anyway, so, so you've got this we, big console. We, Sorry. Saturday morning, that's all right. We'd put those <laughs> albums on the console and the music would play and we would clean and we would sing at the top of our lungs, probably waking everybody else up in the house. But um, it didn't matter. We sang with Johnny Mathis, Nat King <sighs> Cole, um, Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, um, probably other crooners like that and we would just sing along any louis armstrong who knows okay. oh my favorite though believe it or uh. not were were albums from broadway plays and broadway musicals sound okay. of music um i think the only one we might have had was sound of music so we played that one and then the other one i really liked was the boston symphony playing scheherazade Oh wow! Which of course, is a story, you know, a bunch of stories yeah, yeah. about you know her, her that that uh, woman. But I could sing all of the ups and downs of the symphony for Saharazad. I still probably can. That's funny. That's yeah. amazing. And the thing is, our house was so clean all the time. <laughs> but on Saturday mornings, we recleaned. Well, <laughs> like yeah, but if you clean it every weekend, it's going to be clean. No, yeah, we, no, you we, don't we, understand. Yeah. My house was cleaned every day. My mother oh, was right. not uh, insane about it, but she, like her kitchen, when yeah. you came in my mother's kitchen in the morning, the kitchen was spotless. Everything yeah. was cleaned and put away to start That's the nice. day. I like, I like that. I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> so I got a lot of practice singing when I was small, you know, because of my That's mother really and I cool. would sing and clean. Yeah. The only reason I asked about Louis Armstrong is because my mum, she was madly in love with Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. So we listened to, and uh, we listened to a lot of that kind of music as as kids. She also liked Elvis Presley, but we we were exposed to a lot of that jazz stuff. Ella Fitzgerald. She, I got programs from the nineteen fifties uh, of where my mum would go and see Ella Fitzgerald. Wow! She was a massive fan and Louis Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Anyway, anyway, so so the, the the reason why I asked you that question about the singing is because I know that you sing quite often in your performances. I sing at it. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so, honesty for you. <laughs> so I will tell you the truth. That story I told you about with the Motown songs and Little Red Riding Hood. Mm -hmm. Right. I wrote it. I finished it. I sh I showed it the writing written version to a few friends, and they said. Uh -huh. Well, tell it. Like, nope. I think it stayed on paper untold for about three or four years. Really? Wow. I was afraid to sing in public. 
Now, if you gave me a vacuum, I probably would have been awesome at it. <laughs> but uh, I was actually afraid to get on stage. And, and what everybody said is, they'll join in with you. Don't worry about it. Um, speaking on stage is one thing. Singing on stage is another thing. Yeah. I just couldn't I, do it. I hear you. And once I did it, once I got over the hump, and and I think the first time, I think I had some plants in the audience where I begged them to sing with me in case it wasn't going to work. And they did. And then everybody else sang along, and I went, okay, thank you, people. Here's 20 (laughs) bucks for each of you. Um, You paid them? No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. But, But... I paid them with my love in my heart. There you and, go. You know, but um, I, I'm pretty sure the first time I did it, I had friends in the audience who who told me they would be supportive. That's great. I love Sometimes that. Sometimes we I, seem like we're so confident in everything we do. And trust me, it's not always that way. Yeah. So do you still suffer from stage fright a little bit? It wasn't stage fright. It was singing on oh, okay. stage. So do you get stage fright then? I don't think so. I might be concerned about whether I'm going to have my facts in order when I do historical pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, So I will worry about being accurate and being having a good attention to all the details and facts and years and things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, if I'm telling a story that's kind of a a storyline that goes from the beginning to the middle to the end and there's a line that goes through it, Mm-hmm. I'm easier with that because A, I'm not pulling facts out of my brain and B, I can get a visual of what's going on and C, I can improv if I forget stuff. Yes. It's hard to improvise on, on history. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> well, some people do and they call it revisionist, right? Uh, yeah. But... <laughs> or alternative, whatever So it is. that's a good word. I'll use that next time I mess up the historical piece. So for, I don't know if you still are, but when I, when I first heard about you um, through our very good mutual friend, Karen Chase, um, we, we used you as an example for our branding workshop because you always wore these sparkly shoes. So, how, so where did that come from? How did that appear in your life and become part of your, your persona? So anyone who has met my husband kind of knows my inspiration for style. When I met John, I wasn't even sure he'd go out with me because he was such the fastest fashionista and I was such the corporate three-piece suit person. Okay. And uh, so over the past 39 years, he has pushed me beyond my limited limits. Out of my comfort zone. So we were, and that means, you know, if we're going shopping, he's right there. And if I remember correctly, the first time I bought gold shoes, we were out together and walking past a shoe department or a shoe store or something. And I probably needed some shoes. And he's like, try these. Oh, John, they're kind of bright. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So he has influenced me and my style. I would say now I have my I have developed my own style, but I'd say for the first um, good 20 years of my performing, he was right there pushing me to 
go beyond my limits on style and fashion. So Is the gold shoes were, you know, his thing. Wow, that's and so cool. And then I said, okay, I'll, people liked it so much. Look at it. When you're telling stories, often if you're telling to young people, they're sitting on the floor. Yeah, they're looking what at their feet. they yeah. your shoes. Yeah. They see your outfit. They see your earrings. Yeah. To me, if I walk in and they see those, okay, they see the dress from a, the, the shirt or the dress or the jacket from a distance. They see the earrings and then they finish down. They go, oh, wow, gold shoes. The audience says, you know what? We'll listen to her in the beginning because she looks cool. Yeah. Now, we may not like what she has to say, but we'll give her three <laughs> or four minutes. In performing, you need those three or four minutes. You and do. if old shoes and my earrings are outrageous, some of them, um, and my outfit's usually very, very colorful because they make me happy. Yeah. Uh, but it gives me that extra four minutes. You walk in a middle school and they like how you look, you're golden. For yeah. at least three or four minutes. Yeah, release. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then the rest of it, of course, grabs them with your story and your right. interaction and the fact that you're human and you love being there and they can tell that you love being there. Yeah, yeah. And so I, you, so you, you, I, I've seen you perform um, not often, and I've seen I've probably seen you perform online on videos as much as I have in person. Uh, so it's it's a very small amount, like generally speaking, but you really do seem to absolutely love working with the younger age groups, like the littler ones. Or am I am I wrong in that? You're or don't wrong. you care? Oh, I am. No, you're wrong. You like working with the older kids? I like it all. Okay. Um, the younger kids, you know that they're just primed for storytelling, mm -hmm. so they're 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 warmed up before you even get started yeah but i love middle school because they're not warmed up and they don't quite know what to expect and then you then you grab them and you've got them and you're mesmerizing them and they're they're doing whatever you ask them to do and it feels like you climbed mount everest yeah it's a wonderful feeling. Yeah. And then adults, I like taking them someplace where they may not be expecting to go, which is why you I missed out high schoolers. Well, because I don't do many uh, shows. Okay. In high All right. okay. Um, typically, if I do, it's historical pieces or um, okay. something special. Um, I think mostly things about history, but I don't do that many high school. I've never marketed to high schools. Mm -hmm. And I get enough work with middle and elementary and libraries and adult festivals. That's cool. What lights up your eyes when you're working? What, what floats your boat? <laughs> when I can tell the audience is really with me. When, yeah. And when I can feel them. And therein lies the problem with Zooming, right? Yeah. And that you don't see your audience or if you do see them, you have to take your eyes off the camera and look below to the screen. Yeah. And then you're not looking at them anymore and you can't hear them because if you have a whole group of people with their microphones on, that can be chaotic. Oh, yeah. So it's the feedback. It's the comment that somebody makes that sends me off on a little tangent that I didn't even expect. Right. But I'm enjoying it. And then what I'll do is the teacher will say to, to little Johnny, hush, hush. And I'm like, no, little Johnny's awesome. 
because yeah. he's giving me ideas. And those unexpected things, yeah, it's right up my alley. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's I'm right. I'm right with you on that one. It's it's awesome when that 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 connection happens and you're writing writing that that flow that that energy that happens. You know what else I do, Simon? Um, oh. When I go into any venue, I always walk around and talk to whomever is going to be in my audience. Um, so as they're streaming in, I'm talking to them. I'm walking up and down the aisles where they're sitting or on the bleachers where they're sitting mm -hmm. and just interacting with them. Um, you, you can you sort of get to a point where you can tell who the leaders are in mm -hmm. a group. And boy, that's where I want to zoom in. I want to get to that person who seems to be a leader or that person who seems to have an influence on others and go right to that person and get that person to on my side because we had this wonderful little conversation and um, that is so much fun you yeah. know the 15 minutes before you go on stage yeah i like that too i was you know when i when i first started doing this for me it was really hard because um i you know I, i'd seen a lot of people playing guitars or the um the flutes or whatever right they would have some sort of musical instrument and they sometimes play, or, you know, Odds Bodkin playing his harp or his 12 string guitar, right? Um, and um, I'd see these people and I'd just be sitting there on a chair. And I hated that. And so I'd always start bantering with the kids. Right. As they're coming in and just like, you know, like, so what have you been up to today? You know, you're looking forward to the weekend or like, did you have a good weekend? Or, you know, oh, it's hump day, you know, there's only a couple of days left after this one, you know. Or and, I love your green hair. Yeah, I pick up. So I, I'm a t-shirt reader, right? For good or for ill, you know, I'm a t-shirt reader, and it'll be like, oh, so you, so the, so and so's got this t-shirt on. This that's a matching kind of t-shirt. Is there anybody else? You know, and then you draw in other people. What are the kind? And that I think you know when we do things like that, we're we're breaking down a wall that might have been there. You know, here's the stranger coming into our midst, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's the, the guy that's like into the t-shirt. So that's the that's the lady with the sparkly shoes, and the, the sparkly shoes thing. I don't I don't wear sparkly shoes, um, but I do wear socks that are not always conventional. Because Me too. I know, right. So you I have wear like two different kinds. Uh, not always, but sometimes. Not always. That's not my thing. But I like to wear bright, bright, brightly colored socks. Um, because kids do, they're sitting down at your feet, and I, you know, I've usually got my Converse low tops on, see my socks, and then there's my jeans. I'm usually wearing jeans, but um, yeah, it's because you want the kids to engage, and you don't want them thinking that you're like a politician or anything like that, right? There was a period of time when mix match socks were the rage. Yeah. And um, I'd see a kid come in with mix match socks, and I. Sometimes that kid's really proud of it, and sometimes it was a mistake or something. And yes. more times than not, when that happened, I'd be uh -huh. like, whoa, I love your socks. Look. And I'd pull up my pants legs, and the kids would be like, whoa, she's got mismatched <laughs> socks, too, with her gold shoes, right? And, yeah. um, and that's a connection. It's a, a way it is. of connecting. It is. It's so, yeah, I love it. I love it when you can, I don't know, there's something, I like doing adult shows. Don't get me wrong. I really do. There's you something do. really, yeah. there's really something good about that. But there's, there's an element of, of pure, unharnessed, uncorrupted joy when you work with kids, but no matter what age, even high schoolers, if you can, if you can crack that nut, you know, 
um, usually they've already they're, they're too cool for anything you know uh, well that's but, why the historical pieces they like because they're learning something and, right right yeah yeah so what historical pieces do you do I start let me say this about historical pieces the reason mm -hmm. I started doing them is because someone requested it someone okay. said well do you have any pieces that might be suitable for Black History Month? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I could tell you folk tales. And they said, well, could you do something else? And I thought, started thinking, okay, um, I'm in this as a job. If someone makes a request, you don't turn them down. You, no, you start right. investigating. You think, well, what could I do that I could do well? So I um, trying to remember what the very first one I did was. Um, I can't remember, um, but I know that I have chosen stories that somehow connected to me. Um, like the, the one that I did, and oh, and I will say this, sometimes um, foundations have hired me and put me on payroll sort of to research a story and oh, wow. share it with the community. So there was something called the Chicago Tribune Freedom Museum. Mm -hmm. I don't think it exists as an entity in a building anymore. It might be part of a trailer that goes around, a big bus or something. But mm -hmm. they hired me to tell the story of Rosa Parks and the Montgomery bus boycott and paid me to do research. And then they came back the following year and said, how about the Little Rock Nine? Uh, that's the one where nine African-American students in Little Rock, Arkansas, were the first to integrate in the city, and they did it at the high school level. Right. Well, with Rosa Parks, I knew it was important. I knew her story was important, and I, I, I felt like maybe I'm the person. I don't know why I felt that way, but I thought maybe I am the person who can do the right research and come up with a story that's um, relevant to many levels of many ages. Mm -hmm. So I took the job. When they came back with little with um, the Little Rock Nine with school integration, well, that one hit home like in my gut because after all that traveling with my father in the military, mm -hmm. um, when he went to Vietnam, was the first time that I went to an all black school. Most of my schools had been all white or almost all white. And here I was integrating an all black school in a city where the students in that school probably had been together from kindergarten through seventh grade. Mm -hmm. right. I remember that year as if it was yesterday and I remembered how hard it was for me, and I remembered how ostracized I was. So wow. when they asked me to tell the story of these black students integrating a white school, I felt a kinship. And I felt like it was worth the trouble to do the work to figure out the story and put it in a way that could make it a performance. Wow. Why do you think you were ostracized when you came into that school? First of all, kids reject something that's different or right. someone that's different. Right. Um, I had lived in a lot of places, so I was maybe a little more worldly than they. Oh, okay. I had been in more white schools. 
uh, mostly white schools. And maybe my language was different. They didn't know. My language, my use of language might have been different. I remember coming home one day in tears saying to my mother, can I curse? Can I just say one curse word? Please let me say a curse word. Maybe they'll like me if I say a curse word. And this is not a, a statement about you know kids in general. Yeah, but yeah. at that point, I knew that they did that. And I thought, if I just said one little word, maybe they'll like me. Um, the way I dressed was just not the way they dressed. Um, I had this long hair with big bangs down here onto my eyebrows and mm-hmm. I don't know. I was, I, they, then they, you know, I knew a lot of the answers because the um, level of education was a few steps back from what I had already been through. Uh, so okay. they don't like you if you answer, if you're always raising your hand. Right. I, I if think the new it's, kids, if it's, the new kid's smarter than the other ones, yeah, I can totally get that. Wow. How did, how did that make you feel as, as someone that had spent most of your life in school as a minority to being part of the majority and being rejected by that majority? Well, first of all, I was excited. It's another new school. Right. I knew how to do new schools. You know, I had done this before. Um, everybody looked like me. Awesome. I really didn't care what people look like. I just thought, okay, new school, new place. Right. Um, make it work. You know, that was kind of one of the things my father used to say about us moving. We're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. And um, I was totally slapped in the face by the rejection because I had never been rejected before. Mm-hmm. Mm, I wish I could tell you why I had never been rejected before. Was I too young to realize it? I don't think so. Mm. Um I don't wow. know. We live in a mixed up world, don't we? <laughs> well, you know, I have talked to other um, peers when I, I remember in college, I met a woman who had also had her father had been in the military and she had moved around like me too. And mm-hmm. she said the same thing when her father had retired. My father wasn't retired. He was in Vietnam that year. But she said when her father retired and they moved somewhere, wherever they settled and she went to an all black school, she was similarly rejected. And we had long talks about how that felt. It was wow. a kinship right there based on that experience that we had. Uh, it's got, I can't imagine how hard that must be. Really That's why I was it's... willing to research the Little Rock Nine and yeah. what they were doing because I just wanted to know how it felt. Right. Uh, I wanted to know how they felt and I want, and so when I tell the story, on some level, I feel you're bringing some of your personal experience violent. with it. It wasn't nearly as violent as what happened to some of them. I'm not trying to compare. Right, them. right. No, I understand that. But when you're in seventh grade, it feels as bad. Right. You know, I had somebody threaten to cut off one of my ponytails and gum in my hair and um, oh my sort of being followed on the way home and it, uh, just stuff. But anyway, I, that was what grabbed me when it came, when they asked me about the Little Rock Nine. I said, yeah, I want to know what it's like, for what it was like for them to integrate a school. That's so cool that you were able to do that and bring your own personal experience to it mm-hmm. as well. That's so neat. 
So Linda, how do you feed yourself artistically? How do you keep your, your creative batteries charged? <laughs> My creative batteries are usually charged because someone gives me a call and says they want to hire me. And I go, okay, what do I need I for like them? Charge. I, like <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a member of a group called the Fox Valley Storytelling Guild, and it was based in the western suburbs of Chicago. Because uh -huh. you're not in Chicago anymore. I'm you're in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Right, I'm in Raleigh, yeah. North Carolina as of four yeah. years ago. I might have to send my brother-in-law over. Is, it's off, yeah, is he, he there? Is he here? Yeah, he's, yeah my brother-in-law is. Yeah, what, I have five brothers-in-law. One of them's in Raleigh, North Carolina, yeah. We have to meet. We do. I keep, I keep saying we've got to go and visit him. And now I know that you're in North, Raleigh, North Carolina, then I'm definitely going to have to meet him because I'm going to spend some time with you. Awesome. <laughs> um, being a member of that Fox Valley Guild, though, mm -hmm. meant we met monthly. Um, the... There were about 12, 8 to 12 people would show up each month, sometimes a little bit more. Most of us were performing storytellers. Some of us just loved story and wanted to come. Most of us were working on new material every month. And I give all credit to the members of that group for inspiring me, for pushing me beyond my limits. Um, they'd say something. I'd come in and say, oh, someone wants me to do this. Linda, Linda. You mentioned blah, blah, blah. You mentioned that. You can do this. I know you can do this. And they'd push me and question me and prod me. And uh, they're responsible for who I am today. Wow, for the pushing, so cool. for the coaching, for the give and take. You know, they would work on something and I'd be able to give them feedback and they'd give me feedback. And it, that went all the way around the room. And I think all of us grew from it. Who were the storytellers in huh? that group? Who were the other storytellers in that group? Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I could give you their names, and uh -huh. I'd be happy to. But sometimes people think you can only grow and expand if you're with what I call big-name storytellers. Yeah. Someone once said to me, Linda, stop saying that. You are a B-N-S yourself. Big-name storyteller. Yeah. But... It, it, it's about the community that you form together. It's about the respect you have for each other. The fact that you are meeting on a regular basis and you are committing that Tuesday of the month to this art. Yeah. That makes it important. And the fact that even if you don't have something new you're working on, you want to come because somebody else has something new that they're working on. Yeah. So... Um, there are no big names, you know, that I can say, you go, oh, I know that person, I know this person. It is a community of love. It really was. That's so neat. I like that. <laughs> it's the truth. No, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. There was a group of us, uh, when I first started storytelling in this area and was trying to make a living out of it, um, there was one person that was more well-known than the rest of us on a regional level. Um, and she, she was basically her, her guild, if you want, our little, her little club, and we all went there. And it, it was, um, because everyone has a different point of view, everyone has a different lens that they're looking at life through. And when you bring a story and you're like, I'm struggling with this and I can't, it, I want to tell this story because it feels right, it feels that like I need to tell it. 
but I can't I can't get my head around the story and then someone will come up with some sort of well why don't you try this and then all of a sudden that penny drops and it's like oh my gosh yes that's it that was the missing component and to have some somebody that you can do that with or some some bodies um it's it's really is a gift it really is absolutely it's golden yeah and what really this is. group had no leader this group so, was just an, a group of people we would expand and contract based on who was coming through sometimes there was a core of people mm -hmm. who seemed to be there for the I think I was with that group about 19 and a half years, a long That's time. That's a long time. That is a long time. It's a long time. And uh, like I said, there was no leader. It, well, it was, it was, I should say this, it was a group that was under the umbrella of the Fox Valley Folklore Society that did mm -hmm. a lot of things with music and then through this group investigated storytelling and, and you know, created a guild. So we had a, we were the umbrella of a larger group but we were just people who showed up. Yeah. So are you, are you a member of a, a cohort now? Are, you, are there a number of people that you you don't do that anymore? I'm not. Oh. You know, you, you, when you move, there's an excitement with moving. Yeah. Um, there, I come down to this place that has got wonderful weather. It's great <laughs> to be outside. <laughs> Uh, we chose this area because of its abundance of tennis courts and golf courses. So I spend a lot of time playing golf and tennis. I, and I can, I can confirm that, folks, who are listening to this, because, <laughs> because there have been times when Linda and I have been helping each other out, and it's like, well, I can't make that day, Simon, because i got tennis at between <laughs> such and such a time. I was like, all right. So, so I can definitely confirm that. So I, I'm not a, I'm not Good a for you. I think it's, that's great. I love it. I'm not a retired storyteller. No, I'm you're not. I'm still a working storyteller, but I do work around my golf and my tennis. That's excellent. I love that. So is there anything that you wish, anything that you know now that you wish you'd known when you first started? Boy, that's a great question. I know, and it's often meted, met with, meted, it's often met with silence. <laughs> In the years before I moved to Chicago, mm -hmm. when I was telling in these different places based on a story I wrote and edited and shared, I thought, I'm it, I got this. It's all about me, I know what I'm doing, I don't need any help. And then when I moved to Chicago and joined this guild, I realized no man is an island, no man walks alone, right? Yeah. I said, wow, I can be so much better if I listen to other people. I can be so much better if I listen to what they hear versus what I think I'm saying. Yeah. They may not hear what I think I'm saying it saying because I'm not saying it in a universal way or I'm not saying it in a, in a way that makes it work for storytelling on stage. So in the beginning, way back when I was doing it just to help this transition from place to place, I wish I had joined local guilds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I always suggest if someone says, I want to start storytelling, what should I do? It's like, go and listen, go and join a guild see as much storytelling as you can and read as many books as you can on mm -hmm. folk on folk stories and stuff 
Right, but so, the idea of, of being in a guild means you're working. If you go listen to people, mm-hmm. you think, oh, that's the, that's the way to do it. I saw so-and-so do it. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And no, it's figuring it's, out how to take that story and make it who you are. Right, it's and a way to do that it. that takes some effort, huh? Yeah, oh, it's a way to do it. It's a way to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with you. There's some storyteller. I mean, Papa Joe, who's a good friend of mine, an amazing storyteller in his own right, he, when I, when I first came over to the States, you know, I was, I was, I was only telling stories for like my family or my wife's family when I first came over here. When it was back in the UK, it was for small school groups and families who would come and stay at the youth hostel that I was the manager of at the time. And so I'm totally self-taught. And when I went to, when I came over here and started doing this, uh, I made a very good friend called Stephen Glazer and he took me to a workshop with Otto Bodkin. And, and I was just blown away. And he was using character voices and really sound well. effects okay. really well <laughs> and sound effects. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I can do that because I'm a boy. And I used to make all of those noises when I was a kid growing up and I still do. So I can incorporate, it gave me permission to do some of the things that I hadn't thought of doing before, you know. And Papa Joe, he'll say, oh, I can see a bit of odds in that story, you know. Oh, I can see a little bit of so-and-so and so-and-so in that story, you know, because of these people that I've seen uh, in my formative years, as it were, um, who have had an influence on, on what I do because I love what they've done so much. It's not that I've tried to emulate it, but it's be- it, it's something that I admired, I guess, and I wanted to make my own. But I completely still... understand. Yeah, yeah. I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, I like seeing other people. And this year, this year has been a wonderful year. I mean, 2020, when I say this year, it's actually 2021, but 2020, uh, which we've just got through kind of, not quite, but almost. Um, <laughs> it's It's been a wonderful year to see all these other storytellers who we may not have been able to see because I, they're, they're on the other side of the country or they're over in India or Australia or in England or whatever, right? And it's been so wonderful to see these people perform have you been able to watch some of them i have watched some not not a whole lot Uh um but i don't think this medium using zoom is going to go away because people realize how awesome it is to bring someone from another country or another part Mm -hmm. of the uh, the united states into your event even if it's on a zoom platform i think um we're we're heading into the future with something new and exciting and we're not going to let it go yeah no i think you're so right we're, we're going to see people from all over the country all over the world at our local festivals because they're going to have a zoom in component somehow yeah yeah and i think or that's z- great yeah or a zoom out component for the festival that might be broadcasting you know from tennessee or from utah or from athens wherever right florida sending it out to india and 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 you know russia and italy and new jersey and new jersey yes but i mean you're right you're really right simon you're gonna be people will be able to come because there, there's nothing beats being in the audience there's a no. dynamic that you cannot yes, describe unless you've been there mm-hmm. but people will also be able to to watch it in other ways mm-hmm. and enjoy it yeah we might get paid more as well if they're making more money off of us. That's always nice. 
<laughs> always nice. So, um, just a couple more questions because I don't want to keep you too long. Um, you've been very generous with your time already. But if you were able to meet a storyteller, um, living or dead, who you have never met, who would that be possibly? Or maybe one or two or three? Are you like me? You know one of those well, I have to be silent for a minute because I gotta think. Uh huh. But you know who I would like to meet? Who? Lynn Danielle Miranda, who wrote Hamilton. Oh, because okay. In my mind, he did the ultimate twist on a story. Yes, the he story did. of Hamilton, I have seen the, the, the musical, uh -huh. um, happily or sadly, depending on someone's perspective, I've seen six times on on uh, Disney Plus. Oh, okay. And, uh, and the reason for that is, first of all, I tried to see it on Broadway. I tried to see it in Chicago. You couldn't get tickets unless you paid, you know, a fortune. Yeah. And then they had all these um, places where you could get online and you could get free tickets. They would give out a um, certain number of uh, $5 tickets. I did right. that all over the country for months. <laughs> Chicago, New York, San Francisco. I figured the price of flying to that place and getting the ticket for $5 was worth it because yeah. we were going $800, $1,000. They were really getting up there. So yeah. I really, really, really wanted to see it. And I just love the idea that he took this historical piece of information or pieces of information and incorporated music and creative speaking i'm not going to yeah. call it rap because i don't think i think it's more like creative speaking and costuming and dance and the dancers are awesome and yeah. the talent to put together something that made the whole world want to know about this time in our country yeah what which is very awesome. yeah you and know. a lot of the things that they were struggling with, because my wife, she just actually, I think last week, finished reading the book that Miranda had, had read to base his musical on. Um, and my wife had been saying a lot of the stuff that they were struggling with back then, it, we're still struggling with now. And we're still having the same arguments and we're still, you know, the same turmoil. So, yeah, it's it's an amazing part of you know, bringing together the past and the present together in this in this one amazing. My daughter's a big fan, and and and, and they're making it so it. accessible for yeah. everyone. Mm -hmm. um, he had you know relationships with schools where they were getting material and information, and they were putting on little parts of the of the musical and learning all these things. I, yeah, he he's he to me is one of the ultimate storytellers. Yeah, yeah, I, I would second that. I would second that. So, is there anybody else, in maybe in more the g general side of storytelling, like our side of storytelling? The lucky thing for me is once I joined that guild, they mm -hmm. said, now you must go to conferences. Okay. So for years, I've been going to the National Storytelling Conference. I went to the National Black Storytelling Conference. I went to what's uh, in a region, the Northwest region called the Northlands Conference. I went mm -hmm. to the 
what I used to be what used to be called Lanes. I think it has a new um, yeah Nest New England Storytelling New yeah. England Storytelling Conference. Yeah. I so I went to so many conferences and took so many workshops and saw so many performers that I I feel like boy what an investment in myself that was. I, I yeah. just got to meet and hang out with yeah. so many people. And I emphasize the hangout part because, yeah. okay, you go hear them tell. Okay, that's fine. Then you go hear them in the workshop, but go to the bar after. Yes, we'll have breakfast that's with them. Happening. <laughs> or yeah, you come down into the lobby of the hotel and you, everybody's just joining in. Come on, sit yeah. over here, have breakfast with us, have lunch with us. Yeah. So I don't feel deprived. I don't feel like there's some, I'm going to kick myself when this interview is over. I'm going to say, oh, why didn't I say so-and-so or so-and-so? Yeah. But um, I, I feel as if I've met so many amazing personalities and got to hang out with them Yeah. that cool. I don't feel like I'm missing someone. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. Okay. What is the closing question? Are you ready for it? Am I ready for the closing question? Drum what? roll, please. <laughs> Fire away, Simon. What is your favorite breakfast? Where would your favorite place be to eat it? And with whom? My favorite breakfast mm -hmm. is probably something simple oh no you know what i went to a restaurant during covid recently where uh -huh. we had to sit outside and i had a egg an eggs benedict with what was it on top what? without the sauce because i don't like the sauce okay but i had an eggs benedict with was it steak on top or something? Sounds it, lavish. It was awesome. <laughs> I didn't use any of the sauce because I don't like the sauce. That's the fattening part. But okay. um, I do like, you know, a softball egg with, with some uh, meat and some nice toasted bread. But I usually just have a very simple breakfast of maybe fruit and that uh -huh. could be it. Maybe some cheese. Or maybe a scrambled egg and a piece of sausage, yeah. simple things. Now, who would I like to eat that breakfast with? Uh -huh. There is no question. I would love to eat that breakfast with any member of my family, Excellent especially answer. my husband, especially my sons and my two awesome bonus daughters and my awesome, awesome, awesome granddaughter. That's Put I them like all that. together at the and table. So, I'm happy. So would it be would it would it be at your house? Or would it be, or oh, would no, it be somewhere anywhere. exotic? No, no, okay. no, no, no. Every place I live, I told you, is important, right? Yeah. So yeah. I don't need to go. I have traveled. I think I'm in house number 13 that I have lived in, either with my father or with my husband. I think Jeez, that's a lot. seven with my father and six with my husband. No, something like that. One of those, six with one and seven with the other that we you know, lived in. So I've lived, I've lived everywhere, um, both coasts, down the south, Germany in the middle, everywhere. Um, I am always happiest wherever I am at the moment. And 
don't have these mad desires to be at the beach in the mountains. <laughs> I, 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 I love my house. I love my family. Um, we can all be crowded. Well, the kitchen table can't hold all seven of us anymore because there's seven of us now. Um, and this just goes beyond to the extended family. I'm just mentioning the ones that are um, my son's bonus daughters and granddaughter. We'll all sit around the dining room table and laugh. And you know why? Because when we grew up on holidays, we'd go to my grandparents' house and we all crowd around the dining room table. Well, at one point there was a kid's table, you know, off to the side. And then as we got old enough, we would be graduated from the kid's table to the adult table. And eating was part of it, but laughing and joking was the most fun yeah. That's what made it so much fun. Yeah. That we laugh and joke and then after we eat we play games. So that that's the most special. I love that. And I think that is the perfect way to end this wonderful conversation that I have had with you. Thank you so much for all your time. Linda, I'm happy you a... wanted to talk to me. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't I? You're amazing. <laughs> so thanks for being on my on my tiny little podcast linda i really appreciate it it's been wonderful talking with you Sandra. it's been wonderful talking with you linda, as well thanks listening to this interview again as i edited it brought so many smiles to my face and i hope it did for you too i hope you felt inspired to maybe try twisting fairy stories yourself i hope it encourages you to seek out more of linda gorham's work her website is lindagoram.com. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, be sure to check out other episodes. And if you think I should interview a certain folk and fairy tale, myths and legends storyteller, send me an email. You can also find me on Facebook and on my website, simonbrooksstoryteller.com. And on Instagram, Simon M. Brooks. Diamond Scree? Yep, that's me, the English fella and storyteller. A shout out to Chris Jed for creating and recording and letting me use this wonderful music for my podcast. His band is called Blackpool Mecca. Check it out. You can keep this podcast alive and support my craft by becoming one of my patrons and paying anything from a dollar for an episode that you enjoyed to a regular monthly subscription. In return, you get extras, early release and exclusive content of my work. Thanks to Becca Worthington for becoming one of my new patrons. Thanks to all of you for supporting my little podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Want your name mentioned? Join the little tribe. If you can't join these wonderful folks, then please help me out by doing something you can do. I would be very grateful if you were to leave a review on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, wherever you find this episode. It won't take long and it helps not just me, but others to find and enjoy this podcast. Thanks again for being here with me. I know that there are a lot of other places you could be and I appreciate it. Until next time, be healthy, be happy, and share the stories you love. See ya. Simon out. It's, it's just, just a story. story. <laughs> just a story. Yeah.